0: Hello, everyone. This is Rob Farian with another episode of the Sage Executive Podcast, where we bring on top executives and business leaders, and they share their Sage advice. We ask six questions over about the course of 10 minutes because the wise speak in few words. I've got a really great guest today. I'm really excited to hear from him and his story and And what he's all about. So let's get right into it. Uh, In a few questions, excuse me, in a few sentences, Robert, would you mind telling us who you are and what it is you do?
1: Yeah, my name is Robert Menendez. I'm co-founder and CEO of Vest, uh, the world's first royalties marketplace, and uh, we're trying to bring value to creators and intellectual property in a very direct
0: way. Great. Would you mind, you know, just researching Vest a little bit? Would you mind kind of elaborating about, you know, what it is you guys are doing, or maybe that elevator pitch? And because I know it's a very unique product, I had never seen anything like it in the market. But just uh, tell us a little bit more about the business and the model.
1: Yeah, we we allow fans to buy into royalties of their favorite music. Uh, and in general, you know, we've had songs by Kanye, by Drake, uh, Jay-Z. It's any of the people. Let me take a step back. Music is fractionally owned to begin right. with. The record labels, the artists, the writer, the producers, all these people in the ecosystem. Um, and that intellectual property has value. And, it, you know, allowing to hypothecate that as an asset, and allowing the fans to participate in the excitement of a song becoming a hit or a song earning is uh, the platform that we built out in an effort to allow creators in general the freedom to continue to create irregardless of what you know perhaps a record label might think or mm-hmm. just uh, you know the powers that, that that be in general if you have a fan base and your fans want to continue to see you create uh, you can do that through our app
0: yeah i noticed something unique about the iso right initial song offering can you can you tell listeners a little bit more about that Assuming it's similar IPO, I've heard of ICO, you know, on the, the coin yeah, yeah. side. So yeah, just curious a little bit more about that as well.
1: well. We wanted to create a sense of excitement and a focal point for the fans to be able to gather around a certain offering. And so we wanted to have it for a limited time and we wanted to make it available pro rata to, to, to fans. So you can participate in any denomination. So if you're a kid at Starbucks and you're passionate about music and you feel like you're really good at music selection or you just want to support your artist, um, the I- ISO is an opportunity to do so. So you could come in with $5. You could come in with a 1000 we You've had people, you know, we sold out $50,000 of a Beyonce song. So to to me, music is just not for the wealthy. It's kind of like, you know, it's an uncorrelated asset that everybody understands. uh, It's a part of everyone's life. I think it's also a great on-ramp for uh, communities in general to get an understanding on finance and residuals and just, you know, more knowledge on, on, on money and how money can make you money,
0: if you want. Right, that's great. No, I love that. Thanks for sharing. So, transitioning a little bit, I know this thing is second venture, at least that we've talked about, right? And being being an executive in that role. Um, what would you say is the best part for you about being a leader, being at that executive level and being in charge of a team?
1: I, I think the most important thing that I've learned through the course of two startups is to dislodge yourself from feeling like you're always right uh, and to afford yourself to be able to listen to your team and also know when you kind of have to push through. It's, a, it's an interesting combination or an interesting skill set to acquire, which is one to admit that you're not always right. And And also, on the other hand, to push through it regardless of other people's opinions. Right. Um, and it's a hard balancing act. And I don't know if it's when I worked at larger companies, I worked at Oppenheimer. It wasn't so much like that. You're a cog in the wheel. Right. In a startup, sometimes you have to make these decisions, these pivots that affect everyone. And 90% of your team will be like, you're crazy. <laughs> you know? That's the dumbest thing we've And regardless of that opinion, you, you decide to go that way. Right. And in other cases, those opinions, if you allow them, to pro- if you process them, that just disregard them could actually lead to you uh, making decisions that are beneficial. So it's understanding that balance, you know, right. when you've taken everything in and you make an executive decision, um, which is kind of the process that I use versus just being dismissive and going. Right.
0: Yeah. That's what, I, that was going to be my follow-up. right. Is like, okay, what goes into determining one way or the other, right? Is it a feel, is it a data, or I'm assuming, in, like you mentioned, it's taking in all the different opinions, data points, whatever those might be in order okay. to make data the best decisions. I mean, right.
1: data never lies. I mean, Anyone that does online marketing or you know runs any kind of uh, uh, any kind of framework that 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 is designed to touch people online right. understands what a conversion rate is and how all of that plays into everything, right? So if people aren't feeling your product and they're not into your product, the numbers are going to tell you, regardless right. of what you may want to do. The data will tell you, you know,
0: right. if it's working. No, I love that. So you're in obviously a, a very competitive space, right? You're in the tech space, the music space. The app space—you um, know—a lot of noise, a lot of competitors, a lot of different things, moving parts. What have you guys done as a team to, um, you know, make some waves, get people to hear about you, um, acquire new users, right? What have you maybe done differently? Or what is your approach to uh, making a name for yourself as a new startup in such competitive areas?
1: Well, one thing that we did at the beginning is we threw a lot of events and concerts because the music industry is overall kind of jaded. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't blame them because, uh, you know, you hear these stories of musicians, writers, producers. Producers um, putting something together and then at the end of the day, not making any money off of it, but other people have. And and that is a very true analogy uh, for a lot of the industry. Um, People think that their favorite rapper, their favorite rock star is swimming in money. And in a lot of cases, that's not the case when you start looking at the distribution of royalties and the distribution of of intellectual property in general. Uh, So we threw a lot of events to convince them that we weren't the enemy, that we were building something for them. Um, And then we continue to do events and continue to do online marketing and, you know, the online marketing worked a lot better in conveying our story and sharing our story. I mean, it's very true when people say um, you could sell anything online, it's just a matter of how much it's going to cost you to convert. So I think for us, what really worked was changing the story uh, through social media, through our marketing campaigns. We have 200,000 downloads. It took quite a bit of time to to get there and we financed over a million dollars worth of intellectual property Uh, and now, and it was just seeing, you know, how do we get people to understand that the songs that they love could actually be uh, a way to, uh, you know, it's it's that affected by the economy. It's right. an uncorrelated asset, and you can support an artist and at the same time, you know, it doesn't go down in value. Your risk is time, really. Like if right. I put a hundred dollars into a song, uh, I'm I, I may make money, but it may it may take longer than I expected if the song right. doesn't perform as well. But right. you will recoup that money. It may just take you six months, a year longer, a week longer.
0: Right. So with, uh, yeah, that leads me, to, you know, my qu- question to that is obviously with 2020, you got COVID-19, coronavirus, that whole thing, events, right? Whether they're happening, if they are happening, they're obviously at a much smaller scale, right? So I'm assuming you guys have one shifted even more so to that that digital focus, digital marketing and advertising. But would you also say that this, this has presented an opportunity for those artists that also used to rely on, you know, just even smaller gigs, opening acts that all of a sudden are gone, right? And are not not available or at least not as many are available. So do you think that that you guys offer something to those types of artists that, you know, haven't made it, right? Or maybe we're starting to bud and, you know, hear everything happen happens in 2020, it seems like Vez would be a great opportunity for those types of artists.
1: I think I think the COVID situation for for musicians has forced a lot of them to think outside of the box in reference to their boots on the ground, which is touring. Touring is the machine that really it's the tail that wags the dog. People don't think about it, mm-hmm. but touring is how a lot of musicians, especially legacy artists, continue to put food on the table. So I think you know understanding that you can do an online concert, that you can get paid online, that all, I think that that's been really beneficial for us because out of necessity. They're, they're, they're being more open-minded in, right. you know, how they can get money in the door. Right. Um, so, yes, I, I, I think I think the industry itself, you know, uh, Dua Lipa is doing a show called uh, Club 20, 2054. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to do and this is just from our estimates when we process our data, probably going to do like $40 million, $50 million. Wow. A month. Wow. Now, once Dua does it and other artists start to see there's no bus, there's no tour, no missing my family for a year, you know, touring isn't like, uh, it's the same thing again and again, you know, like even when you're doing uh, your company and you're going from event to event to talk about it, it's not what people think. You're not on vacation. You're not, it's like back to back to back. It's a hotel, it's It's a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that when people start to see the possibilities of being able to have 300,000 people globally, which isn't a lot of people attend a show and you're able to make money or parcel out some of your song for your fans to consume so you can bring Bring money in so you can continue to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting narrative um, of what you can value yourself now without needing these other distribution channels that you used to have to rely on.
0: Right, right. Does Vest help support the... Um, exposure for the artists if they do have a song or an ISO on the platform, right? Or is that exposure being driven from the artist's team or their marketing and advertising? How does that work?
1: It's a very good question. We are not a streaming app, so we allow fans to buy into those royalties. The fans can stream and share the content. I mean, we just launched a YouTube vertical, actually. We're allowing YouTube channels to come in and raise money and share some of the royalties And there. On the few betas that we have done, we've actually seen subscribers come in. Hmm. Uh, the problem with music on the data collection side is that it's very hard to verify if a fifty thousand dollar raise or a twenty thousand dollar raise has unequivocally affected the streaming component. But with YouTube, mm-hmm. because we have access to the back end, I can tell from when the campaign started, right, it's fifty new subscribers, right, and that IP sold out, and you could see that direct correlation between when it was launched to when it moves forward. For right. music, we just don't have. It's such a I don't want to call it a broken system, but the, the Pandora box, the Pandoras box, the data behind Spotify, you're really not afforded that information. You could could have an idea but right. They're not going to tell you specifically Bob streamed your song <laughs> in Ohio. Right. You know? Right.
0: Great. Yeah. It's super interesting. Super interesting. I'm sure we could talk about this all or day. Cat, but uh, yeah. Uh, I <laughs>
1: cat. So if, if people <laughs> think there's a rat coming across. No the worries.
0: Green, it's, no, no, it's been great uh, doing this during this period of time. You know, I got girlfriends or wives walking in or husbands or dogs barking in the background. Whatever it may be. No problem. So um, moving on. Uh, advice. Right. So obviously you've, you've multiple startups, right. Got a successful thing going with Vez. Uh, Very impressive in the work that you guys have done. And I know the development that's gone into the app as well. What would you say is your number one piece of advice that you would give to either other executives, entrepreneurs, uh, business leaders uh, that that they can take with them?
1: Yeah. Be comfortable with failure and understand that it's not a negative thing. Um, And you gotta, if you're doing this for the money, uh, don't do it. (laughs) If, if you're doing it because you have a drive inside of you that wants to create and, and, and affect things around you. Um, just be ready to understand that it's lonely uh, on on the executive level or as a co-founder. And that failure is just going to be a part of everything that you do. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're a failure. I mean, right. like, I believe most startups you know, fail the first year. Mm-hmm. I think out of even most successful people with startups, it's like their 10th company out of nine that they ran and operated. I mean, the statistics are very daunting. Right. Uh, but if you know that going in and, and, and you're willing to accept, you know, like that rocky balboa like that you know if you allow it it's just going to beat you up but if you're okay understanding that not having it i don't want to say take it personal because when you're building something you take it personal but just understanding that the failing within the process of building something doesn't mean that your idea or your concept uh isn't a value or it can't get somewhere. You just got to be prepared for the emotional toll all
0: right. no, that's great advice. Uh, so with that being said, we're obviously trying to bring on new guests similar to yourself. This has been a, a great interview up until this point. Um, are there any others that you'd acknowledge as leaders in the space, people that might have some great uh, insights or advice that we could bring on as a guest on the show? As yeah, I mean, relatives?
1: I'd love to, I mean, you know, we're friendly with the CEO of Trilla uh, through our, my chief growth officer, who himself would be a great person to interview. I mean, my um, business partner, Steve Stewart Managed Stone Temple Pilots 24 other bands Yeah Um, uh, You know um, There's the CEO Of Zeta uh, Which is a Multi-billion dollar company His partner Is the ex-CEO Of Apple Uh, Very very bright guy Into Online marketing As far as like Email marketing Created this massive Multi-billion dollar company Mm -hmm. Allowing companies To touch And to communicate uh, uh, Through marketing strategies That land in people's emails And and on their product Uh, So yeah I'd be happy to do You know Or if you want to rock and roll. I mean, I don't know. know, I'm I'm in an interesting intersection, I would say. it. from tech to finance.
0: Yeah, that's what you're telling me too. Your background in trading, right? How did that transition happen?
1: Uh, you know, I got I know it's a dumb thing to say, but I got really tired of moving decimals for really wealthy people because that's what a hedge fund ultimately (laughs) does. And I felt if I die tomorrow, what have I really like, what have I really done? Mm. It wasn't about succeeding at something, it was more about I felt as a person inside, uh, and am I fulfilled? You know, and I was living in New York. I lived in New York for almost you know ten years, and I, I love the city. But I was just I felt you know, I got in a I got my series seven at twenty four. I was in finance at twenty three. Forty-eight. You know, at some point, I just wanted to explore more of me. Right, really, what it came came down to. That's awesome.
0: Good for you. So, to wrap up, uh, it's probably a great segue into this final question. Uh, fun one here. I'd see uh, what type of personality in terms of when you win. What is it that you like to do to celebrate after a big win, whether personal, business, whatever related it may be?
1: You know, I'll tell you, I like. I like taking my friends out to dinner. It's a weird thing about me and anybody that, I mean, these could be really interesting nights because I have a very eclectic group of friends. (laughs) But if something really good happens in my life, I really enjoy sharing that with people I've known for 10, 15 years. Like uh, to me, there's nothing better than, uh, you know, some good wine and some good company. And and I'm a sucker for that. And that's how I love to celebrate. I'm not, you know, I I like to reward myself, but I like to include people that I care about. And to me, it's either like a trip somewhere or we'll have a big dinner and we'll make like almost like a little mini event because uh, why work so hard if you can't have some emotional up, you know, if you're just like saving it, saving a good bottle of wine for right. a day that never comes sometimes. Yeah.
0: Right. So yeah. Yeah. I, I hear that a lot when we ask that question. Right. And I think that would be my, my celebration too, right. Is when dinner Wine guy too, so I, I always put people on the spot. Where where's the dinner, and what's the bottle of wine? And what's the
1: bottle, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a beautiful thing to 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 have good friends that last a really long time, and like business or marriage, it takes work. You yep. have to have people that are willing to call you out that you've known for a long time. Um, you know, and having lived in LA for a while. Uh, in, in these industries, it's rare. It's hard to find someone that like really likes you for who you are. Kind of find out when you're moving. You said, you know, you're going to be moving soon. In LA, you're throwing a party. Everyone shows up. If you're like, Hey Rob, I'm moving. Oh, my back. You know? (laughs) So to me, friendship is a super important part of just, you know, my, my life The people that I care about.
0: Yeah, no, I can, I can tell that that definitely comes through. Well, Robert, Hey, thank you so much for being on. This was a, a awesome quick interview and, and appreciate all, the insight telling us more about the work that you're doing. Um how can people find out more about you, more about the business, uh whether website, email, whatever, whatever
1: may you be best. You can go on co and you know, Robert at Vezt.co. we fairly easy to find. We're also on YouTube. We're in the App Store, Android and and you know uh, iOS. And you know, reach out. Good luck with, you know, pursuing your dreams and, you know, get in the fight.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely, uh, we'll link to all that, uh, everyone. So you'll have that and, and, uh, readily available to go check out more about Robert and and his work. So, uh, thanks everyone. Again, my name is Rob Farian with another episode of the Sage executive podcast for more insights and to check out more episodes of the show, visit us at flyingvgroup.com backslash podcast. Robert, thanks so much again. Really appreciated chatting with you. Thank
1: you. Really appreciate it. Bye.